Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us here at Modern Homemakers. We are ending our series titled Staying in a Leaving Culture. And if you've missed any of these sessions, now remember, Blake and Crystal, that this is an audio that's going out to our podcast world, which is 62 countries and thousands of people, women mostly all over. So some of the things I'm saying are not directly to you, but they're to our audience. If you've missed any of the 12 sessions, you can find them on our website. They are called in some way, Staying in Marriage After the Wedding, Staying Till Death Do You Part, you fit into this one, Staying as a Mom, Staying in the Bible, Staying in Your Financial Plan, Staying in Friendship, Staying in Your Church. So today we're podcasting and filming, and the film will be available on our website and Blake, don't worry, there are residuals coming <laughs> as we get a lot of them out there. And I'm going to introduce you in a minute to two of my favorite people. And I expect to be quite emotional today, so uh, I'll just take a good breath and then a note that my mascara is dripping, it'll be okay. Um, recently, though, I was asked by several people in a short period of time, why in the world did you, how in the world did you come up with staying in a leaving culture? And I thought, and you know, I very seldom am speechless, but I, I gave a few sort of random things, but then I came home and I sat with it for a bit because it seemed very important to me. So this is the first time I've said this since we begun our series. Um, in my forties, which is now a long time ago, I wrote three pages in my journal about how many things Jesus had stayed with me through. And the word stay was written all over those pages. The second was when I was in my 50s, and I had this life plan that I've carried around in my time maker for all of my life. Like literally, I wrote that when I was 18 through 21 years old. And one of them, I was going to finish strong until I met Eugene Peterson, who is my favorite writer and person in the world, now in heaven with Jesus. And he said, finishing well, just in a throwaway phrase in one of his lectures. And I thought, that's it. I don't want to finish strong because I may be weak. I, I think my strength was a lot about my energy and, you know, I'm still very strong, but so that was, I was, gave up finishing strong and went for finishing well. And then you've heard the story about my encountering the exit sign at 56th Street and 101. The audience has heard it, but I'll just uh, say a sentence or two about it. I am sure that when it says the exit is closed, there'll be a sub sign that says, except for local traffic. So I'm just buzzing along at my regular speed and ready to get off at my regular exit. And when I got there, it said, do not exit. No exit. Do not exit. And, and there was no sign for local traffic only. And as I drove away past that sign, I thought, that's it. We have to close our exits. We start things. We don't finish them. We have to close our exit. And the word exit was completely transformed in my life. And then I began teaching and talking about the five time traps. And those five time traps have been a guide for me, oh, I'd say now for the last 25 years. 
One is being connected to the 24-hour technological revolution. Two is being exposed to increasing amounts of disconnected information. Are you watching the Israeli-Hamas war? Disconnected pieces of information that one disqualifies the other or confuses you at best. The temptation of the necessity to make increased choices with short or limited information. But you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it now. And then fourth, dependency on an inefficient bureaucratic structure and process. And it is inefficient. It's not because I'm a Democrat or a Republican or a progressive. It's inefficient. And that puts me um, at risk. And then lastly, having my lifetime ideals trivialized. And when that fifth piece came to me, I realized how tired I was from going into situations and being afraid to speak of things that were important to me. God, <clears throat> salvation, family, marriage, just marriage. And so um, I agreed with Eugene Peterson when he wrote one of his most famous books, I think, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that was filled with helpful tools to help me stay in this, this way. So I say to both of you, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You know, I've been talking about this and praying about this. You didn't know, Blake, when I began praying about this, because you were in a different place at that time. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's talk about you guys a little bit from now on out. Tell me what you would like our audience to know about yourself. Crystal, will you go first? Sure. Um, we have been married for 33 years. We met um, in high school, right when I started high school. We have two grown daughters and a little granddaughter, our first one. It's very fun. <laughs> um, and we got married still in college. So that was, um, I don't know, interesting. We got married young. I guess that's how I'll say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got engaged young. You got married young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 22 and 20 22. when we got married. Mm -hmm. Reasonable, though. Not, we, we, we weren't children. <laughs> <laughs> Which depends <laughs> on who you were talking to yes. about that. We, we, weren't, yeah. we weren't literally children. <laughs> we were very young adults. And Crystal, you are recently started a new company. I'd really like you to mention that. Um, yes, my business partner and I started a company called Organize What. We organize everything, anything. Um, and it came after my time with you being the director of Modern Homemakers. <laughs> and we use a lot of your tools for home organization and yeah, and creating peaceful spaces. That's what we do. So a lot of your tools help with that. Well, so, thank you. They, yeah. They've helped. They've certainly helped me. And I know yeah. people who have tried them. And the name of that book is, um, I can't remember, Organization by Donna Otto. That's not yeah. it. Uh, getting More Done in Less Time. There, yeah. I can remember it myself. So, Mr. Blake, <laughs> tell me something about you. Um, that you want me to know. What the audience <laughs> to Something know. to know about me. 
like Crystal said, we met young. Uh, we met in high school. We're friends all through uh, her four years of high school. I'm, I'm two years older than her. Um, we started dating in college. Um, and um, I never thought about Crystal as anything other than a friend until until college. And I knew pretty early that she was who I uh, was supposed to marry. Um, in fact, I told her parents uh, more, more or less long before I ever uh, asked for her dad's blessing. Um, and uh, I've been in the same industry now for most of our marriage, 30 years. Uh, I'm in medical sales. So I go into surgery and I'm a consultant to surgeons. Um, and it's a, it's an industry that, and you'll, you'll hear more of our story later, but it's, it's an industry that if you don't keep it under control, it'll control you, mm. uh, between us, just with your schedule and everything. And, uh, and it's, it, it definitely, it's, it's an industry that almost insists that this is your lifestyle. Uh, and everything else takes second place to it. Mm -hmm. Demanding, mm -hmm. demanding. I know other salespeople who are um, involved with medical sales and it demanding is a strong word. So did that play into difficulties at home? Um, when you surround yourself with people that are absolute megalomaniacs, you you have, it eventually rubs off on you and you mm. think the world revolves around you because my, my world world revolved around them. Everyone else's world outside of work had to revolve around me. If okay, that makes so sense. You two met in college. What were you going to be? What we were met, you hoping we to met, be? We met in high school. In high school. But when you met, what were you planning to do with your life career wise? When we first met my Kind of my dream. I, I thought I wanted to own own restaurants, uh -huh. and so that was what I initially thought. And then we got married, and we were working in college and and putting ourselves through college. And I was I was in restaurant management, and I realized I did not like working when everyone else was playing. Um, you know, the, all of a sudden, the busy the busy times or the weekends and the weekend nights, and uh, that took me away from from Crystal and our friends and holidays, you know, a lot of restaurants are open on Thanksgiving and Christmas and yeah. Easter. And, and I realized, uh, I don't know that I want to do this. And, um, and so that's kind of, that's when that dream changed and uh, I fell backwards into this industry. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's a good way to do it. Uh, I know you met in high school, but what was the first date? When did, what did you look at her and say, I'd like to take her out on a date? Homecoming. Yeah, the first date, she asked me. Oh, you, I don't remember <laughs> that. I was a junior in high school. Junior in high school? Yep. She's not going to say this. I'll say it. So Crystal had a crush on me all through high school. Oh, she did. I just didn't know it. So you can you can edit that out if you want. No, 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 that's that's what <laughs> we don't edit. You know, we we say bad words. We don't edit. We okay. just we're just we're, and this is how we are. So you had a crush on him. I did. Mm -hmm. I think the audience Next should thing. know that your mother and I were fast friends. So I watched you and your sister grow. Um, I, that is not surprising to me because knowing you as I do. That's that sort of fits who you are. 
<laughs> you like something, you go for it. You you learn something, you use it. You're steadfast. And so, I don't know why you got a crush on him, but I, I guess I'll have to. We'll have to, to this day. I, I don't. Understand. To this day, yes. Well, it's nice to poke at you the way I get to poke at you. No. So. You two had your first date. You knew she was the one. And then there was this extravaganza. <laughs> At the time, it was an extravaganza. Today, it would almost be like a promposal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but back then, it was a big deal. Proposal? I never heard that one before. That's good. Um, it was a very big deal. It was a, it was a big event. And um, I could spare you the details of the event. We want a few details. Okay. Um, there was a... 150 foot red carpet um, strewn across green grass with a big fan back wicker chair at the end of it. And uh, and I had some friends get her out of uh, the group she was in and she came out and we were the only ones other than someone filming church. at church. And, uh, and she, I had manipulated the situation. So she was kind of dressed up. She didn't know why. Um, and so she stepped, she was in heels and she walked into the grass and her heels went through the grass and she was standing there saying, what are you doing? And I was trying to get her to come to me. And it was, that was, that was kind of, it was all on film seeing how Crystal and I, we are, are bickering the, the laughter and, um, and then, you know, limos and all sorts of stuff after that. Um, but for me, it had nothing to do with the show. It had everything to do with uh, Crystal deserves someone to make a big deal out of her. Mm. And um, <laughs> what I had observed in her life, no one had done that. And I wanted her to see how important she was to me and how much she meant to me. And I wanted to make this grandiose, grandiose gesture. Is that the right yeah. term? Um, specifically so that she felt special. And it took her a big chunk of the evening to finally kind of settle in and enjoy that process because she doesn't like being the center of attention in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And, um, and every step of the night, um, all the way through, including our table at dinner with the, was it 25 red roses waiting there and, you know, champagne waiting there and the, and this, the, the, everyone, everyone made a big deal out of crystal. And it was probably one of the few times in our in our relationship where where I was more the wallflower and she was <laughs> she was front and center. So um, but that that's why that's why it it seemed so big because it was all about Crystal. Yeah, well, and, and it she was deserved it. among your classmates that that kind of thing had not been happening. Mm -hmm. But it started after yeah. that. You set a trend. So tell us what your early days of marriage looked like. Go. We were young and in college and um, worked a lot, worked a lot of hours. We don't really know why, but we felt like we had this need to, even though we were in school, we were married. So appear more married than school. So we always lived in the nicest housing, worked around the clock, Um we look back and say, why don't we live in married housing and enjoy ourselves and have fun and not have to build a house our last year of college mm -hmm. and all the things we felt like 
because we were felt like we were behind our friends. Like, oh, they're already married and buying a house and doing this and we're still in school. And um, sadly, we we wish we could have had a lot of fun in those days. You not working so it. hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we look back and and we say often, why didn't we have jobs that we could quit when the summer came and take our 400 bucks that we had and just start driving and camp and see the country and and do do fun things. And and instead, we we I mean, I was working. I worked 60 hours a week uh, and, and went to full time school. So mm -hmm. it. it it was, you asked what they were like. It was just, I remember it, it didn't seem joyous. It seemed, it just, it just seemed like, seemed like work. It felt like a drag. It feels like a drag. Do you, do, when you look back on it now and talk about it, was one of you more in favor of that than the other? Working, getting a house, or was that mutual? I think it was mutual. It felt mutual, but if... If you go way back and we real and we look at it all, um, in at the end of high school, Blake kind of had felt a calling from the Lord to go into youth ministry, but wanted to make money instead. He didn't tell me this till we had been married for 10 years. So I was like, oh, well, I didn't know. Yeah. But um, but then we, we were always driven to make the money, to get the house, to do what the world was telling us to do. So I think that drive started in college of trying to accumulate stuff. Yeah, be ahead. Mm -hmm. So your job is demanding and you're anxious to get ahead or be on top or at least say you're doing well. Um, what begins to disintegrate? How does it begin to disintegrate? Um, Crystal and I, <clears throat> we did not take at a pretty early, even in college, we didn't take time to, we, we didn't put it into our regular schedule to have date nights and spend time together one-on-one. -on -one. Then we had kids. Um, and I mean, our lives, I'm going to, I'm going to go back. We laugh about it today, but. Crystal and I have gone through our lives in some ways feeling jinxed. We've heard more times from doctors, from attorneys, from, and the, the line we've heard more times than most people, I've never seen this before. I've never heard of this. And, um, and it was just one thing after another, after another, that we felt like we were jinxed somehow. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so because of that, we just, Felt like we had to put our head down and push even further forward. And um, with that said, what got sacrificed was our time together. We had kids. We had we, we had some pretty demanding friendships that uh, any spare time we had was was kind of mono was monopolized there, uh, which we allowed, which was which was our fault. But uh, we we allowed it, and um, and so our marriage pretty early on was never our priority. Mm. And do you, did you work outside of the home? Were you at home with the kids? What was your... I was pretty much home. I did side jobs. Mm -hmm. I'd take care of a friend's children for a year or so, and then I would just do odd jobs here and there. 
And did you feel uh, separated from Blake? Did you ever, during those years, did you say, gee, this is not what I thought marriage would be like? Not really in those years, because I think I thought the same thing. Like, this is what he has to do to um, to build his career. So he works. I get to stay at home. If he's gone all the time, that's the sacrifice. Just how it is. Yeah. Just how it is. Um, so what started the road to not just living together and not talking about marriage, but watching pieces of marriage decay? Uh, change. You changed. Crystal changed. You both changed. What happened? What was the what was the vehicle? The instrument. Um, well, I I would I, I would say first and foremost um, for me alcohol. Um, just in my industry back back then, especially just a lot of entertaining, a lot of drinking, a lot of being gone. Um, I I I I was raised in an alcoholic family, had an alcoholic father that died because of his alcohol abuse. Um, and I, I fell into a lot of that, uh, kind of family patterns, patterns. Mm-hmm. and, um, and alcohol was pretty much always involved in, in whatever I was doing, uh, outside of work. Um, and, and I can, I can honestly say that the majority of my bad decisions in my lifetime have, uh, where alcohol was involved. And, and is that staying out late? What is that? All, all the above. Everything I mean, it, that... staying out. I mean, staying out late, um, hanging out with, with, uh, with customers that are single, and so they don't have any. They don't have a family to go home to, um, and uh, just getting to a place where it, it, I kind of got to a place at some point that I kind of didn't want to come home. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I were to really unpack and dig down deep, it was probably because, because I was unhappy. Um, but I, you know, it just, that's kind of what happened. Okay. And, and do you agree that the alcohol was the beginning? I think it was part of it, but I think when things really started to fall apart was um, Blake's dad died. A friend died. Um, we were involved in youth ministry at our church and one of the girls committed suicide that had been real close with us. Um, that hit at a time where we were losing a business, cons- uh, possibly losing our home. It was like all these stressors were coming in. And, um, when your dad died, it really just blew everything up out of the water and everything fell apart at that point. Hmm. And was his death a surprise? My dad's? Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, he had been sick for three years. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, in that three-year period, we, we really never had any resolution from all the dysfunction we had in, you know, before he got sick. And, um, and I thought I was going to have time to, to find some resolution. So, um, I found myself after my dad died, just, just furious with God. Why did you, why did you give me? Cause I guess I should say my dad and I did not have a relate really didn't have, didn't have a relationship at all from the time I was eight to the time I was 42 or three, other than maybe just kind of threw my 
kids and this and that, but we really didn't have much of a relationship. Um, and then he got sick and asked, he called me and asked if I would help him through this process. So I said, yes. And for three years, I had my dad in a way I'd never had him in my entire life, not just my adult life, but even as a kid to where I talked to him every day. He told me he loved me every day. He told me he was proud of me every day. I, while, while I'd be driving home, he would call me and we would talk about my day at work. And that was something I never had before. But my dad never gave me an opportunity to work through any of the any of the issues that we had from that shaped me as a as a young man and so you were helping him die i would his death was all about him and that whole three year period looking back was all about him yeah and um but you didn't know it at the time i didn't know it how were you feeling at the time going that Blake was gone, not only working, drinking, and taking time for his dad. Did you feel left out? No, I felt good about that. It was after, because then he was just gone. Like after Bill died, um, his name. Um, <laughs> after he died, Blake was gone all the time. He was never home. Say what that means, never home. Never home. Um, at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. 11 o'clock at night, two o'clock in the morning. I didn't know where he was, if he was going to make it home. I mean, I knew what he was doing. <laughs> I knew he was entertaining and partying and they were having a good time. But I didn't know if he would make it home. I didn't know where he was most nights. And, and that was for a whole year before things actually truly fell apart. Okay, so talk a little about what fell apart. After a whole year, which seems like it was already pretty much apart. Yeah, but it was. What happened then? Uh, Blake decided he was going to move out and that we had some things to work on in our marriage. <laughs> it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> now's a good time, right? <laughs> it's always a good time. Oh, Blake. Oh, it, sounded, Blake. Oh, dear. it sounded good. Oh. We need to make our marriage a priority, so I'm going to move out. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a good time before we go any further into that. I think um, my dad dying kicked me full full bore into a, a midlife crisis, and something that we talked about when we yesterday while we were kind of going over our notes and kind of what we felt like the Lord wanted us to to, to share tonight. Um, when when you're in a midlife crisis, no one can tell you that you're in a midlife crisis. Yeah, right. Physically, no one. Yeah, and um, and you and you won't and you and you can't know you're in a midlife crisis until you figure out you're in a, in a midlife crisis. That sounds very uh, complicated. That, well, actually, it's 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 actually sounds very um, elementary, but it's the truth. And um, and so so you say things. When you're in a midlife crisis, you say things that make total sense to you, even though they're they're it's a hundred percent lie. But you, but the thing is, somehow you convinced yourself and you believe it yourself. Mm. And so, me saying to Crystal, "We have some things to work on." I I, I meant it. I just wasn't telling her what, what I really need. The, the, what you the, were doing that needed I to be really need, I really, <laughs> yeah, I never didn't tell her what I was doing to, that needed to be worked on. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
we have friends in the same position and it's so hard when someone has gone down a road of sin, of making bad choices, and their eyes really are those scales over their eyes. And you just want to shake the person and try and wake them up out of what they're in. And it's so hard to be in that place and um, figure out how to get through to someone who who is there. But you know, it's all God's timing and whether that person is going to wake up from this crisis that they're in or not. Or not. Turn, we, turn. a friend whose name I will not say, but it just, just pops into my mind because nine people, nine people told this guy, you're in trouble. You need to change your direction. Nine people. The ninth Ten person, people. the ninth person, when he said it to this fellow, he looked at him and said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't someone tell me? And that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like nine people tell him the same thing. It isn't till the ninth person, yeah. which meant he was ready. Mm -hmm. right. So that staying with something, persisting with something, everybody loved that guy and his family and their faithfulness to him and staying at the message worked. Was there someone like that in your life? Someone who was staying with you, saying this is going to be okay? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that. No. That's, I, his mother. His mother. <laughs> and she was hopeful that you'd fix him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what was the great awakener? What, what, he moved out, but what else was going on that you came to understand then? Um, so because he wanted to work on our marriage, we went to a counselor and um, it that was it was kind of funny, but we went to a counselor, and at a certain point, Blake said, "I think we should meet separately. I don't think we should meet together anymore." Because he felt like the counselor and I were ganging up on him a little bit. And I said, "Great, that's what you need anyway." Is I'm okay. It's it, you. It's you. <laughs> you have the problem. Yeah, that's right. Go meet with the counselor. So. But I kept meeting with him as well, and. Um, just meeting with him and um, coming to the place of understanding unconditional love and grace in a way that I never had before. Um, having this very old man who had been a Baptist pastor most of his life just look at me and say, loving the unlovable is what God has done for us. Like, can you do that for your husband? I don't know if things are going to work out or not, but um, that's what God did for us. And it's easy to love someone who's behaving great to you, but it's hard to love someone who's treating you horribly. And um, we came, I came to a point in the counseling where most of my friends were, saying it's time to kick him to the curb. And um, I talked through that with this uh, counselor and he said something that just has always stuck with me, which was if you don't love him through a picket fence, what, what would ever be the reason he would want to come back? You know, if you're going to completely put up a wall, 
Do you think he's going to try? You need to have boundaries. You need to protect yourself. But if there's no movement through the wall, what? why would he do anything different, basically? And then the other thing he said to me, which led me on a road of working on myself, was one healthy parent is better than two sick. And he said, right now, you're both sick. And I was like, Okay, I had seen enough children of divorce, of Christian marriages, that did end up with issues falling apart. Life seemed horrible. And one day I talked to someone who said, if just one of my parents would have um, been healthy, I think I would have been okay. And so I went on. Um, I went on my own journey of trying to be as health, healthy as I could be. So I met, I kept meeting with him. I found a Sozo ministry. I found freedom immersion. Um, you found music. Music, books. I'm not a reader. That year I read tons of books. Um, and I spent time with the Lord like I never had before. And I was talking to someone at church today, and hers is a health issue. She's single, not her marriage. But just how sweet that time with the Lord can be when you're in the midst of a nasty struggle or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, And that is how I look back on that time. Even though I was in so much pain and I fell in the pit and I didn't know how I got there, um... But the time that I ended up spending with the Lord was very sweet. And I felt like after a year, I was strong enough to to take care of my children well, to file for divorce because things weren't coming around. And I just had gotten to the place where um, I was praying for a redemption story for my family Um, I wanted what was right and what God wanted for us, but I also looked at the impossible of, I don't think Blake can do what it's going to take to get this story. I know God can show up and show off and redeem this. And that's what I prayed for. Um, but at the same time, I was not overly confident that that's what was going to happen. God, you didn't see it. Yeah. Can, do you, can you add anything to that? Is that, a, is that a good rendition of what was going on? Um, and how did you see Crystal? In, the- um, in those days, I, um, looking back, um, I, I see her, I, I saw her as a rock. Um, the only reason we survived is because Crystal made the decision. My sister said these, I won't use the exact words my sister said, but my sister said, told me uh, over the phone that Crystal has decided to, if you ever pull your head out of your rear end, um, Crystal's decided she, she's going to work on herself. And she wants, if, if you ever pull your head out of your rear end and go back to her, she wants to present the best version of herself to you. And those words stuck. I heard, I heard those words. And, um, and so because of that, in my brokenness and in all of this junk, junk, I found myself usually intoxicated, um, but calling Crystal at 
midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, whenever I got home, um, towards the end. Um, and, uh, the whole time, the whole time, <laughs> the whole time, <laughs> really yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And so, and I remember enough of those conversations that the theme was constantly and my response to this was always don't preach at me but her her the theme was always Blake if you don't figure out how to surrender you're never going to find happiness in any relationship not the relationship that you that you were in you're in now and the next relationship you're going to be in you're not going to find happiness you have to surrender and and it was that was the the probably the most common thing surrender 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 well, again, if you don't know you're in a midlife crisis, someone telling you to surrender, you're like, what? To what? But yeah. you're, yeah. you've got the problem. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm doing what I, Crystal, she said to me yesterday while we were talking about it, um, people that are in midlife crisis, especially Christians that are also choosing to sin, um, oftentimes say, and I, I use this line exactly, my God would not want me to be unhappy. Mm. Well, what? What I figured out through this whole process was God doesn't care about our happiness at all. Not it's not even on his radar. No. It's not even in his it's not as it's not in his vocabulary. He wants us to find peace and joy amidst the agony and pain and struggle of life. And that was foreign to me. But I saw Crystal at different times. I could hear joy and peace in her voice. I know her so well that that was sticking. So it was getting through, even though I would tell you, I had no idea it was getting through. Mm. And so does that make sense? It does. Perfectly. And so. um, But I also had to choose to lay him at Jesus' feet and to surrender him as well. And you weren't going to get it. You were not going to get it done. uh, and I would pick him back up and I'd send him a sermon. I'd send him a song. I just knew if he hurt, if I did something, I could save him. And I finally got to where I was like, it's between him and the Lord. And I can't, God doesn't need my help. That's you know, right. I heard that somewhere and I was like, oh, he doesn't? No. <laughs> he did not need my help. So I used to pray for any, I'd pray for Somebody at the bar to talk to him, somebody at the gas station, you know, where I'm like, anybody, somebody talk to him, <laughs> get through to him. <laughs> and those prayers were answered along the way. I've told her different times as, as I remember them. Um, the, the main bartender at the bar I went to that was near where I lived uh, almost every day that I saw her, which I think she worked five nights a week. So I probably saw her five nights a week. Uh, she would. At some point in time throughout the night, tell me, you need to end what you're doing and go home. Go back to your wife. Because in my drunkenness, I was telling how amazing Crystal was. Yeah. Didn't even know it. And she would say, you need to go home to your wife. You need to go home to your wife. So I heard that a lot from non-Christians. But I believe God was putting those words in there. It, Did you ever meet the bartender? Mm-mm. Oh, we we've talked about her. Yeah, yes, we've talked on. about it. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I was I was pay, spending enough money at the bar that I was I was paying her bills. Yeah, yeah. So she might resent Crystal for that. The fact that I'm not there anymore. She could not. <laughs> I think that was what the end of her story was. Well, I remember running into Crystal 
<clears throat> David and I had gone for dinner. I think it was just David and I. Maybe there was someone else. And you were by yourself. And I went over. And, of course, I, you know, the rumors, you know, the rumor mill. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. was Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I've known Crystal since she was a girl. But I, that girl was gone. And the woman that sat before me was a certain about the things she just said. Mm-hmm. Um, a certainty that can only come from Christ and a certainty about waiting till you did what you needed to do. And I'd been around, you know, I'm 77 years old now and I've been in this ministry for 37 years old. I can't tell you how many women I've talked to who have been through this worse, longer, the same they did not have that. Uh, there are very few of them that I've walked through with that have had that certitude. Um, and I think the ability that the two of you have had to talk about this um, comes from both of you coming individually, not you coming back because or you taking him back because. And that's a very shallow reason for keeping a marriage together. Even your children are a shallow reason for keeping your marriage together. And as you know, I love both of you dearly and have watched part of this, been um, a close part of it. Uh, Staying married is not easy, even when there are great times. So could you tell me that now you've stayed married, you're rejoicing. What could you can you synthesize the story, the night, the I'm changed, I want to come home, the <laughs> any part of that? Did it happen so gradually there wasn't a, an event? Um <laughs> Um I, I can tell you that most midlife crises in, end in some sort of rock bottom. Uh but for sure all surrender stories come with some sort of rock bottom. And um, as we've said through this whole time with these microphones, um, (laughs) we've said that my career was my God. Um, And I made a mistake and thought for sure my career was about to be taken away from me. Um, I got a DUI and got arrested and, uh, and was told I was going to lose my license for a year. And the company I was working for, um, had a policy that, uh, that, um, you, you get a DUI, it's just, it's automatic instant termination. And so I had to let all these people know this and, um, I'm going to just, I'm going to tell this quick story. So, um, I, um, I'm going to dot some I's in case some people didn't haven't dotted all the, all the I's. Um, I met with my attorney. He told me, you're going to lose your license for a year and you're going to go to jail for at least four months. I said, okay. I, so I had to call my company. I called our vice president. I told him I got a DUI. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to lose my license. And he said, okay, you're probably going to get fired. I said, okay. I said, and he said, but I'm going to take it all the way up as far as I, as I can. So, um, so that's over here. Um, I was at, was at my place. Um, and I told the person that I was in this relationship with, 
probably going to lose my lose my license, lose my job. And the the response was immediately, well, what about me? And I said, I can't have this conversation. I left because I had to go meet Crystal at the courthouse to sign some papers because our divorce was going to be final in two weeks. It was just the initial, but we had to sign. And so, but I'd already agreed on all the money part of the divorce. And I looked at Crystal and I said, um, I said, uh, hey, just so you know, I, I signed all these things and and but just so you know, I'm, I'm probably going to lose my job. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, if I lose my job, I'm probably not going to be able to pay you as much as I and have agreed to. to prison, and I'm probably going to jail. I told her all of it. Hello. And her response was immediately, well, you've already always taken good care of us. What, what can I do to help you? And I remember getting in my car and you ask for, you ask me what the, this thing's driving me crazy. Um, I remember you, you just asked a second ago, what, what was the thing? Um, I got in the car and I, I felt like I was looking at Jesus and he was going seriously. And I, and I was like, oh, so I drove back home and ended the relationship and it was over then. And, um, and then it take, it took a month or so after that, before I, I got the courage up. I was calling Crystal at that point every single night. Um, I didn't tell her anything. I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I was just calling her every night. And, um, and I remember the day I showed up, she was managing a restaurant and I showed up knowing she was going to be getting off soon. I was waiting in her car and I said, you know, we've been talking and you, and, and, and you said, if there was ever a chance for us, I said, I, I, I don't know how you could possibly even utter those words, but do you really think that's possible? And she said, yeah. I said, okay, I'd like to try. And she looked at me and she said, okay, move home right now. And I believe she was watching the expression on my face. If I responded in, with anything other than okay immediately, right yes. my guess is it, there bye would, bye, have been, yeah, it would have been over. <laughs> and I, I said, okay. And she said, I'll see, I'll meet you at the house. And I followed her home. I didn't have any clothes or anything. I just came in the house and, uh, and that was the first step. I can tell you, um, it was not the easy road, uh, but it was the right road. And you drove him around for a year, as I remember. I did lose my license for a year. Oh, did you go to jail? I did go to jail, but let me let me say this. This is another another thing that Crystal prayed for. Um, the the vice president that I told that he told me I was probably going to be fired. He took it all the way to the CEO. This is a six hundred million dollar company, and the founder and CEO, chairman of the board, um, they were all sitting there. And the lead counsel guy says, "Well, he's terminated," and the 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 founder said, "Blake's family." He's gone through a really rough time in his life the last couple of years. So we're not changing the rule, but we are making an exception. I have that right. And he said, um, so he said, whatever Blake does, we're going to support him. And he's and, and we're going to and, and we're going to continue to, to employ him. And so um, which was miraculous. I'm the only person they've, they've terminated many other people for the same thing. Um, and uh, and so God put people in my life all along the way. Um to show me how to show off 
at how at how big he really is. Um, and uh, but yes, I I went to jail. I was in I was in a I was in um, a work release program. So I, got, I I just had to sleep there at night. But I got out every day to be able to go to work. But Crystal had to literally pick you up and pick drive me you up out. and drive me around every day, and then okay. take me back and then pick me up the next morning. Drive you around. And, uh, you know, I just, I wish I had been an aunt in the front seat because I know how David and I are driving when he's driving or I'm driving. You were a captive audience. Like, you, you didn't have yeah. much chance or choice. I'd get in the car and I'd grab my electric razor and shave because I'm on my way to surgery. And, and, and she would drop me off and pick, pick me up, up. And it was crazy times. How long ago was that? Um, it was 2016. Yeah, February of 2016 for 2016. four months till Memorial Day. For, for anyone who may watch this now or later, this is November of 2023. Yeah. Uh, I, I asked the Lord this morning, could you please let me get through this without sobbing? Um, you two have done what. God called you to do. But what you've done is what God calls all of us to do. It's just that all of us aren't willing to do what's necessary. So I, I want to hear just from each of you one thing, just one thing that you would say to a couple who's listening or watching this story. And I promise you, there are many. We are in many countries around the world, and thousands of people hear these podcasts. I don't know how many will be watching the film, but we have it for posterity. And sure. in many ways, I have it for you because <laughs> I wanted you to have it. But um, one thing you would tell a couple, that not necessarily the husband or the wife, just one thing. Crystal, will you go first? Um, what I regularly tell people is... I believed in my heart, let nothing tear apart what God has brought together. So it's not about what, what we want to do, but what is right and choosing what's right over what you want. Because I didn't want this to work out after all the pain and agony and what I had been put through. He wasn't necessarily what I wanted, but I wanted God's plan. Yeah. So choosing that over what I really wanted in my heart. But God has joined together, let no, no man, man put asunder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. those are the old. And, of course, we're talking about staying in a leaving culture, and you two are the exceptions to the rule. Um, I sort of like that. I thought about that in the last few years. Um, someone asked me a question, and I said, oh, well, it's a couple who've been through hell and high water, and when I'm with them, I always feel so joyful. And the two of you are fun. You're fun to be with. But what you've been through heightens all of that, in, in my opinion. So the dark uh, nights of the soul, the deep, dark uh, discretion, indiscretions, um, you used the word sin a few minutes ago. And yes, sin. But you know, Blake, we all sin every day in every way. Some sins just, it's not about the sin so much. It's about the complications that happen. You know, a girl sleeps with a guy, she doesn't get pregnant. Well, she sleeps with a guy. She sleeps with a guy, she gets pregnant. It's a whole different story. So what the two of you have have done is taken all of that. I know your girls. I know their husbands. And I've watched you in these years. What's one thing you would say? 
Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Crystal and I, first, I'm going to preface it with our, we have a heart for, for broken marriages, not, not ended marriages, but broken marriages that are, that are, uh, that aren't over yet. And Crystal has her perspective and I have mine. And, and my, my statement, my, my number one statement is because of God, there is no past the point of no return. Mm. It's never too late. Even if it's completely over and divorce is final, it's still never too late. Right. And um, and I firmly believe, and I said this recently in a text to a friend of mine, that uh, you may not, maybe it was not God's will for you to get married, but the minute you said I do, it was absolutely His His will for you to stay together. Mm-hmm. And um, and so whatever you think now about what happened before you were married is irrelevant. The day you say I do, that's who God wants you to be with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so for me, I've seen God show off. I've seen I've seen how big God is, and um, and and He He wants us to know that it's never ever ever too late. Yeah, it's never too late. Well, I'm going to end our time, and this is a verse out of the Old Covenant, Deuteronomy. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And I have watched the two of you do that. And not an easy thing to do. Um, Is one of you stronger than the other? I've thought that so many times. And of course, Blake, you have to know that I'm devoted to this wife of yours. And I want to say, Crystal did it all of it worked for Crystal. But that's simply not true. Um, The two of you together made decisions that were independent of one another, that included God. And then you came together. Mm -hmm. Well, my dear friend Eugene, in one of his books, um, tells this lovely, lovely little story that I want to read as we end our time together. It's about a famous composer, pianist, Paderowski, who was scheduled to perform at a great concert hall in America. It was an evening to be remembered, you know, black tie, beautiful gowns, everyone excited being present in the audience. One mother was there who brought her child, and her child was nine years old, and he was wiggly, and there had been some delays in the start, and she was trying to keep him down and keep him quiet until the program actually began. She turned her head to talk to some friends, and this child got loose. He ran from the audience up the walkway, onto the stage, and sat down at Paderowski's piano, concert hall in America. (laughs) And he starts playing chopsticks on the (laughs) piano. And you hear the audience, irritated, embarrassed, uh, workers, the manager, everyone is very upset and they're saying things. Get that boy out of here. Who brought that kid here? What's his mother thinking when she brought him to a place like this? Somebody stop him. But before anybody could do any of that, Paderowski, the master himself, heard the sounds out in front, quickly put together in his mind what was happening. He hurriedly grabbed his coat and rushed to the stage. Without one word of announcement, he stooped over the boy and reached in under his sides, both sides of his body, and began to improvise a counter melody to harmonize and enhance chopsticks. And as the two of them played together, 
Paderewski said to the little boy in his ear, keep going, don't quit, keep playing, don't stop, whatever you do, don't quit. And that's what the two of you have done. I'm thrilled to know both of you. It has been a joy to be a part of your life. Thank you for coming and talking to me in this very honest way. We do pray that this podcast and that this film will be something that will encourage people everywhere uh, because of your story. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of following God's lead in your marriage.